everyone. Welcome to CigarCast, your weekly one-stop shop for all things cigar-related, including industry news, reviews, and everything in between. We're recording live from Crown Cigars and Nails here in beautiful Brentwood, Tennessee. I'm your smoke master general, Mr. Trey Devin. I'm joined, as I am every week, by the bar- barbarian of Seville, Mr. Shane Reeves. Thank you. <laughs> Thrilled to be called a barbarian at any point that I can. What's funny <laughs> is that I already had that planned... That was a that was a Hawkeye insult of Major Winchester, right? And I heard that in an episode I was listening to earlier of the day, earlier today, and I was like, "That's that's Shane, the Absol- barbarian of Seville." Absolutely. And I, well, okay, you'd have to tell me, am I using this phrase correctly? You're my research for English professor. I consider this time of year the doldrums of summer. July and August in Tennessee is just miserable. Yeah. This is just, it's constantly hot. It's constantly humid. 11 o'clock last night, I let the dog out, and it was still just hot. Yeah. And just sticky. And and is doldrums the correct word to describe this time? No. There actually is a term to to describe this time. This This is the dog days of summer. Have you heard that expression before? I've heard this phrase, but I thought dog dog days is kind of like a... From Saturday, Saturday, July 3rd through Wednesday, August 11th is considered the dog days of summer. And it is exactly that. It is that miserable, stagnant, hot, awful, worst part of the summer. Oh, yeah. Just absolutely. There's four months out of the year that it's not great to live in Tennessee. There's eight, eight months out of the year that it's a pleasure to live in Tennessee. But four months... July, August, January, February. Are the two... Those are the four months that I will forever... When when I am wealthy, I will never see another July, August in Tennessee. Yeah. That sounds poetic. I, I don't I, I don't have a problem with it. I, I can manage this. Oh, see, I, I just hate it because it's just sticky, everything you do. Yeah. But at least, you know, because when you talk about January, February, the thing is we don't get severe enough winters here to justify buying the $500 coat. Right. The $500 coat is what makes winter bearable. That's how people are able to exist in places like Maine. But when it comes to hot, like, I've got shorts. I've got the sport tech. T- there's other than going naked, there's really nothing else. So it's just, yeah. it is what it you is. You just kind of got to cope. Yeah, you grit and bear it. And I'll, but anyway, let's light a cigar. And I'll, so I'm going to smoke the Fonseca by my father's cigars today. That's a great cigar that so many people walk by every day. You know, they've made a resurgence. It's mm-hmm. seen a lot of shops that have picked them back up. I don't know if my father just got them in or if supplies are low of everything else, but they've been popping up, and it's a Corojo Nicaraguan Rosado wrapper. Nicaraguan binder, Nicaraguan filler, and it's a, the Rosado wrapper is picking up a lot, of, a lot of fanfare lately. This seems to be a pretty good Rosado. I tried to smoke one last night, but we were having poker. Mm-hmm. And I should know better. I should just grab a cheap, cheap cigar to smoke during poker. Right. And all. But I'm excited to try it. Excellent. So I'm excited about my cigar, too, uh, because uh, this, is a, this is a first for me uh, of, of a kind. So uh, there is a very historic and storied uh, tobacco shop in uh, Boston called L.J. Peretti. They've been in business since 1805, and at one time actually had um, their cigars being rolled in-house. They no longer do that. They ship them out to different factories and things like that. Well, 
my brother-in-law, my wife's youngest brother, was in Boston recently. And upon hearing the news that we were expecting a child, decided, and knowing what a cigar fan I am, grabs the uh, one of the natural and one of the Maduro, puts them in a box and sends them to me and says, hey, let's jump on Zoom or FaceTime or whatever. Let's, let's enjoy one of these together virtually. So that's what we did. And on Saturday, I sat down for about an hour and a half with him and we chatted about what's going on in the world. And we enjoyed, and at the time, I enjoyed the Maduro. So what I have with me today is the natural. And what I was talking about before the show about how I'm a genius and how proud of myself I am right now is uh, while he does enjoy cigars, he doesn't certainly take the same approach and the same nerdiness level to cigars that you and I do. So we're talking about it. And he's like, what are you thinking? I was like, it's definitely Dominican. I said, I wouldn't be at all surprised to find out that this is made in the J.C. Newman Fuente factory. Sure enough, it's a Fuente. <laughs> I'm just so proud of myself. Well, it's interesting how you get, you know, and people always look at that as such an amazing feat, and it is. But you do, I, you understand how you can get to that point. Yeah, it's just, I mean, it, it legitimately is just experience. It's the same way that a doctor can look at your rash and say, no, that's not poison ivy, that's scurvy. It's it's the same kind of thing. It's just experience bears that out. Well, I'm I'm such a fan, such a fan of meritocracy. Yeah. And because you know, okay, I watch Michael Jordan play basketball. I will never play basketball like Michael Jordan. There's not a world where I work hard enough to play basketball like Michael Jordan. Right. But there is a world where I work hard enough to know what cigar I'm going to smoke. Right. What it what where it comes from, where it is, and I, I love that part of life. And I like that much more than the the divine gift part of life. And all, but okay. So let's start out. PCA 2021 shows steep attendance decline. This is from Half Wheel. So, kind of goes between no duh and no duh. And all, there's really we knew that it would be down by by their standards because the big four all decided not to show up. And also, you've still you're still coming off the heels of COVID. You know, a lot of retailers, you know, had to adapt to curbside sales and other things. I mean, because we're talking across the entire country, not just this area. You know, the cigar shops in this area adapted very, very well, and many of them still had just as good a years as they had in '19. But that wasn't the case for everybody, and so the the extra expense of paying someone to come in your shop, of taking the time away from home, the flight, the hotel, all of that stuff, like. Not everybody had the the cash flow to be able to go down there this year like they usually do. Well, and a lot of people, you know, the deals being offered, the the total number of vendors was down, and all the number of vendors, um, number of vendors stat I was looking at it earlier was way down from what it usually is, and the number of retailers was down. It, Across the board, I think if you average up all these statistics, you're probably about 25% down across the board. So it was almost 50%. So uh, IPCPR 2019 had 233 exhibitors down to 144 this year. Yeah. So basically cut it in half. Right. And also kind of a worth noting, not really a surprise, 
but worth noting. And if you're PCA, what do you do to change this? How what, do you fix it? What I'm going to be curious to see is the number of exhibitors that showed up this year that don't come back next year. That's going to be what's really telling because, you know, you've got fewer exhibitors, but you've got fewer, you know, if the number of retail accounts represented goes down by the same percentage or less, then for the people that are there, it's the same quantity. Well, this is the main fundraiser for the PCA. Right. And you think about it, if you whack out half of the re- the amount of income for your main event. Oh, yeah. So if, you're, if, if they called you, said, hey, Trey, we need you to be in charge of the PCA for a day. We need you to get attendance back up at the show. What do you do? Showgirls. No. Uh, I mean, I'm sure it would help. It couldn't hurt. No, I think you... I think you have to streamline. It's the same it's the same thing we talk about all the time. The PCA has, I think, really outlasted its usefulness. And I think it's by and large because it exists to keep itself alive more than it does to benefit the industry. And I think if yeah, if I can if I can enact changes in one day, they're all going to factor around reducing our uh, visibility and increasing our impact. Well, I think what you have to do, you have to get the big cigar retailers involved. You have to find that guy, that Nick Perdomo, that's universally respected in the business. Yeah. And you've got to get him on your side. you got to say, hey, what does it take? Ironically, Perdomo still had a huge booth this year. Yeah, much smaller than usual, but they still had a booth. Yeah. But you say, hey, Nick, what does it take to get you and AJ and a couple of these other guys what does it take to make the to pull this back out mm-hmm. and all? But PCA ain't going to do it on their own. And if they just blame it on COVID, they're going to hurt themselves. Yeah, I, but I I think you still have to recognize the impact that that has. But I also don't think that that's the entire cause. I think it's a really easy scapegoat. But yeah, I think I think this has been coming for a while. Oh yeah. Oh, all right. So we're talking about the new Viaje layer cake arrives at stores. No, oh, you would not order on me. There we go. So we came. In, I came in here last night for poker, and I'm I'm going to stop you real quick because when I saw this release and a couple of the shops in the area have already brought it in, and I was sitting here looking, I was like, you know, I'm looking forward to this. I, this might be a viaje that I try and get my hands on. <laughs> and then I opened the show notes <laughs> today, <laughs> and it says I had it. Not really crazy about it. Well, you know, I came in and Austin said, hey, I got the new Viaje layer cake. And I said, okay. I said, not a huge Viaje fan. I said, what's the price point? He said, like, thirteen eighty two. I said, okay, I'll, I'll roll the dice for thirteen eighty two. I'll give him a chance, if for no other reason, to give Austin an honest opinion of what I think of the cigar. Right. It was typical Viaje. Just kind of bleh. Yeah. Nothing special, nothing really, you know, nothing offensive, but nothing good. I'm honestly really surprised also that, that Viaje has not gotten a cease and desist from the wine by the same name. Because the wine, Layer Cake, is fairly well known as being a, a really very good mid-range, say, 30 to $40 bottle of wine. You know, if you if you want to impress somebody without having to, you know, hurt your wallet, sure, it's it's and it's phenomenal. And so I feel like, first of all, that had to be where they got their name from. 
There's well, no way you just independently come up with this. And they're saying they're taking inspiration from the craft beer. Is there a layer cake beer? Well, no. They're talking about, in this case, the craft series, about taking the small batch approach. And, oh, okay. and Yeah. So that that's the piece that comes from the beer world. But, yeah, it took me a second when I was reading this, too, to be like, wait a minute. How is this, how is this beer related? Well, oh. so it's a Criollo wrapper, Nicaraguan binders and fillers. And... Um, it just, like I said, it just didn't have nothing for me. I was not thrilled. And all. It was it was a solid four. And all. On the one to seven, it was a solid four. It was just barely smokable. And all. Now, speaking of limited editions and hard to get, Cigars International begins selling Eagle Rare Cigar. Should there not be some form of accepted standard in the cigar industry can we not all have a handshake agreement that if you're going to call a cigar after a bottle of whiskey you should you're going to sell it only in packs you should have some of that whiskey with it is it not oh no Oh, it's in the photo. I just assumed it was all part of the deal. Yeah, I feel like at least fill up that flask. So Scandinavian Ta- Tobacco Group, in partnership with Buffalo Trace Distillery, has made a release. And the gift set includes five cigars, a branded Eagle Rare flask, golf tees, and a divot tool. MSRP of $130, though it's, retailers are selling it for $799.99. <laughs> Okay, one, golf tees? I know. Who, who, who do you impress with your golf tees? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it, and, and, and on top of that, the divot tool. How many divot tools do you have in your house well, or in your golf bag? Oh About yeah. seven? Well, actually, I only have two because I only use the specialized ones that my cigar can set on right. when I'm sitting there. Right. You know, I love the specialized divot tool, which if they had that in this pack would make sense. You would think. And uh, Although but, it looks like it might. Well, Not quite as well as the ones that you and I are thinking of, but... Yeah. But, and a flask. When was the last time you used a flask? Well, for, it's been... Well, in your heavy drinking days, was there a, was a flask a regular part of your... It was from time to time, sure. See, I've, I don't think I've ever had need of a flask in my life. No, I mean, it's... There, there's a certain amount of romance to the bygone era of the flask being kind of uh, an everyday carry item. You and a couple of buddies sitting around a burning barrel passing the flask around? No, I'm I'm thinking more about Old West where you carry it around just, you know, whatever. In case you get snake bit. Yeah. (laughs) But, no, I I never carried a flask with any regularity, but I've I've taken a nip or two from a flask. Well, this is the honest-to-goodness thing we talk about of marketing over product. Yeah, because I'm looking at this and I'm thinking... Okay, that divot tool cost thirty cents to make. The golf tees cost half a penny. Half a I was gonna be say a quarter of a penny. You know, the flask I'm guessing is probably about a dollar. So and I'm looking at all those and saying I don't I don't really need any of that. So, I haven't golfed in three years and I still know where two divot tools are in my house. So and I've moved since then. Here's the question. So if you pick up this pack and these five cigars happen to be the greatest five cigars of your life, what are you going to do? Yeah. I mean, because, okay, five cigars for seventy nine ninety nine. that's what, 15-ish? Yeah, 15-ish a cigar, which is not outrageous for a cigar. So are you going to stock your bag with divot tools and teas so that you can get enough of these cigars to enjoy? This is just this is just poor planning to me. 
But I'm, I'm just this whole thing smacks of, of retailage, retailmanship. Yeah, it does. And all, but okay. So now to talk about the subject that you that that you are right on top of. All right, I've actually just finished mine. As a matter of from fact, from Cigar Journal, cold coffee is hot. So this is talking about pairing coffee and cigars, as, mm-hmm. as generally happens. And when they pair coffee and cigars, now they're talking about this whole cold brew thing. Yes. So give me your opinion on cold brew coffee. I am Coffee is supposed to be hot. Uh, even today, when it's 96 degrees and about 7,000% humidity here, I'm sitting here drinking hot coffee. Coffee was never meant to be iced. It was never meant to be cold. I don't know what this, like, this basic white girl crap that we've got going on with the cold iced coffee being, you know, life. I just, I don't get it. It's not good. You get all of the bitterness or you put so much sugar in it that you might as well, because that's the other thing. It used to be iced coffee was a cup of ice that you poured hot coffee over and just to cool it down. Now it's these frappes and these milkshakes and these things. And it's, you know, my daughter thinks she likes coffee. No, you like milkshakes that happen to have a little bit of a coffee flavor in it. Yeah, it's 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 Starbucks. We're blaming Starbucks. It's the double half-calf frappuccino with two extra pumps of nutmeg or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, but but so so aside from that, um, yes. So cold brew is a little bit different. Essentially, it, you basically just put water and grounds in a pot, and you set them in the fridge for like twelve days, and it eventually turns into coffee. And supposedly, it's less bitter. I, I've never been a huge fan. I just, I just don't See, like. I figured you would like the complexity of this. I figured, I, I really felt like that the complexity of this, of, of starting a cup of coffee today and getting to drink it this time, you know, two weeks from now, would be right up your alley. It, it, it is. It, it absolutely should be. Number one, my wife has told me in no uncertain terms we're not allowed to have any other coffee apparatus in the house. So I'm kind of, I'm kind of locked in because there are special containers and things like that that are supposed to enhance your ability to make cold brew and stuff like that. So, number one, that's out. And number two, coffee is supposed to be easy. Coffee is supposed to taste a certain way, and it should, and I, yeah, I'm not, I have no desire. Occasionally, I did this the other day. On Saturday, I came home, and I made my, it was probably about four o'clock in the afternoon, and I go to make myself some coffee to smoke with my uh, cigar. And, or to, yeah, anyway. And so, completely forgot about it. Just absolutely, completely forgot about it. So, uh, I came back home that night about 11, walk into the kitchen and see a full pot of coffee. Just just room temp, sitting there hanging out. Ugh. Okay, and then explain to me Nitro Brew. Okay. So Nitro Brew is, again, cold-pressed coffee, cold-brew coffee. But similar to Guinness, it's put on a tap that is aerated by nitrous. Almost like carbonated by nitrous, but that's kind of a juxtaposition in terms. I don't like it. I don't think coffee should be bubbly. And I've never been a fan of nitrous anyway. Um, I was never a Guinness fan. I don't, the bubbles are too small. You know, 
it, it's weird, but it. <laughs> Let's really dissect it down. These bubbles are one quarter of a millimeter, and I don't, I don't take bubbles into my body less than half a millimeter. I'm here to tell you <laughs> what it is. Is well, so it contributes to the viscosity of the liquid, and so. When you drink soda, for example, you've got those big bubbles that kind of, you know, make it make it feel very light. When you drink anything that's on nitrous, to me, it tastes like spit. Or like it has the texture of spit. And <laughs> and so that's what that's what nitro does for me. And I do not like I was talking to a friend of mine who owns the shop up in town and they were talking about bringing nitro in. And I was like, I won't have it. Yeah, it just it kind of blows my mind that, you know, not everything in life needs improved upon. I think we've got coffee whipped. I don't know that we need more ways in which to imbibe in coffee. Yeah, I, you know, I was thinking about this the other day because we've got... So at my house, um, I no longer have a drip coffee maker, and I no longer have a Keurig. But I have, in my life, owned both of those. I have the mocha pot, which is the Italian-style stovetop espresso, which makes amazing coffee. I've got a French press. I've got the AeroPress... Uh, which is great. I've got a handheld espresso maker, and I've got a pour-over. I can't think of how you could even... I can't even imagine another way in which you could get coffee out of beans and water. You know, and okay, answer me this, too, because you're explaining to me all this coffee stuff, because I'm not a coffee guy. Everybody that knows me, I'll drink a cup every now and then, but I put so much cream and sugar in it, it's really just... You have a little bit of coffee with your cream and sugar. Yeah, I just, I'm, it's not a, fla- bitter is not a flavor I enjoy, that's why I'm not into coffee. But explain to me why you would buy a bag of beans and stand there in the aisle of the grocery store and grind them yourself. So, well, you, you've, you've created an interesting conundrum here. Why you would do that, I don't quite know. Um, now, now, why you would buy whole beans and grind them at home... Hey, now, if you've got your own little grinder... Yeah. And you come home and you measure out your little beans and you grind it up fresh and put it into your Aero French Nitro whatever press and make your coffee, you're good with me. Yeah, that, because that's, because we know that if the second you grind the beans, it starts to lose some of the volatile compounds that create the nuances and texture, flavor, and aroma. The only thing I could suggest is that if you don't have a grinder at home, but you do want some of the benefit of a fresh grind over it having been ground in the factory, but by the time you get that coffee home and use it, I don't think you're any better off than just buying the pre-ground stuff, and on top of that... You're going to taste whatever, you know, if someone had French vanilla, whatever that they ground before you, you're going to get that in your coffee. Have you ever seen one of those grinders actually be cleaned in a grocery store? No, and I've never seen one that looks like it had ever been cleaned either. Have you you ever talked to anybody in a grocery store that said, oh, part of my job I hated was bagging tomatoes and cleaning the grinder? Right. And I don't think those ever are clean. Oh, I don't either. And and what make what's really terrible to me in in thinking about that is, have you ever been to like Whole Foods or any of those pretentious grocery stores? Oh yeah. 
they have a grinder just like the coffee grinder, but for peanuts to make your own peanut butter. So, or your almonds or your whatever, like, and so you grind it in the communal grinder <laughs> in the grocery. What are you thinking? They, so, okay, now I have another question for you because I, this is my MacGyver hack of the day. So if I was trapped in the wild and my, my father and I, we were in the wild earlier this year and found out that my brother, much like me, does not have a coffee pot. And I, my father's used to getting up and having a cup of coffee every morning. So he would get up in the morning and take his cup and stagger over to somebody else's camper till he managed to bum a cup of coffee. So if he and I were trapped in the wild and say I found a coffee bush and shook it and beans fell out, um, how would you go about grinding them if you didn't have a grinder? Is there is there a method? Oh yeah yeah yeah. Because you don't you don't have to have a, a coffee grinder. Anything. What all you need to do is break the bean open, and there are various grind sizes depending on the type of coffee you're making. So if you're making espresso like an espresso machine, you want a very fine, almost powder like grind. Versus a percolator, which oh I forgot a percolator too, and. <laughs> which uses a very coarse grind size. Right. And it all has to do with how long they spend in contact with the water and things like that. So um, if you somehow found a way to find coffee on this remote island and then you figured out a way to roast them without burning them over the campfire and and got to the point where they were you know, rich enough, where they were, all you have to do is find two rocks and smash them together. So I could wrap them up in a banana leaf and smash the banana leaf a couple of times. Absolutely. And, and pour it out and make him a cup of coffee. Yeah. Okay. I was just curious about that. I, I don't know. Those, one of those things that popped in my head. But all right. Enough about coffee. So let's step away for a break. When we come back, we got more stuff to cover, including 50 old-fashioned insults we should bring back. All right. We'll be back with that more after this. back to the cigar cast this is one of your hosts shane sitting across from a man who once had to call the fire department because he was trapped on an escalator when it quit moving mr trey deadman i i take great <laughs> exception to that <laughs> you're always taking exception to things that i say <laughs> that, that should tell you something <laughs> nah <laughs> well I'm, I'm, I'm not that worried about it so tell me about your what are we calling that cigar it's a it's a l peretti or lj peretti 125 so uh-huh. 125 is the actual name of the cigar. What's the MSRP on one of them? Uh, you had to look it up? I had it pulled up, and then I apparently closed that out. Um, I don't remember. It's in Boston, so at about 300% tobacco tax because of, you know. 18. Eight, eight. Uh, I would probably guess around 15. Around 15. And uh, So the Finesca's good. Or Fonseca. I don't know why I always want to call it the Finesca. The Fonseca, it's good. It's got good flavor. It's everything my father does well. It's not knocking my socks off, but it's performing exactly as advertised. Eleven dollars. Yeah, there you go. You know, it's, it's but that's eleven dollars for a house cigar, mind you. Yeah, it's performing just exactly as it was advertised, which I really do enjoy. And uh, all right, do you want to talk about the Cuban cigar, the rare Cuban cigar selling for 
fifteen hundred. Yeah, and it's funny because when I when I brought this up, you know, you mentioned that we were going to disagree on this, and I don't necessarily know that I have a a position on this. I just think it's interesting. So, this is from aficionado. Uh, vintage Cuban cigars command big numbers at online auction. Um, Lot 292, rare pricey items, uh, Cuban Cigar Auction, Dunhill Estupinos, and it went for uh, $1,525 for one cigar. Well, you know, I guess the part of it that caught me in the articles when you talked about, okay, you paid, would you pay $1,500 for a cigar that somebody else paid $3 for? If I wanted it, yeah. yeah. You know, it really, it, the, what I paid for it principal to me is the most annoying thing at yard sales. There's always this one guy has the same yard sale every year, and I just skip it because he aggravates me to death because he's a DeWalt rep. And he has all this DeWalt gear, and every time, and he don't price nothing. Right. And every time you walk up there and say, "How much for that axe?" Well, that axe retails for forty nine ninety five, so I'll need you know. The, 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 the. It's like, no, I don't care what it retails for. Right. Put a sticker on it. Yeah. Are you are you trying to to turn a profit on your sample stock, or are you trying to have a yard sale? I guarantee you, it's the former, oh, not yeah. the latter. Well, no, and I don't, th- you know. We have seen unprecedented pricing for houses, for used cars, for building materials, and I could go on and on toilet paper um, in the last year. So, I mean, never is it more evident the fact that something is worth whatever someone is willing to pay for it. My God, if you'd have told me that our house was worth what someone was willing to pay for it, I'd have called you crazy. In fact, I think you I did. Um, So... You know, so I recognize that principle, but I think as the buyer of some, I'm trying to think, let's say this was an $11 cigar new. Now, granted, this is how old, you know, uh, it doesn't, it doesn't say, say 1986. So the cigars themselves are 34 years old. They're, they're as old as, okay, see, there you go. They're, they're from the same year I was born. I would. I'd probably pay a little more now. It's got that little gravitas to it. So, you know, so let's say this cigar was worth eleven dollars new. I guess I'm. I guess as the buyer, I'm going. What? Why am I willing to pay fifteen hundred dollars for a single cigar? What is it that's going to? I mean, and it doesn't have to be cigars. What would have to happen to a particular item? To make you be willing to pay significantly more than retail? Well, there ha- there's only two reasons. There's either bragging rights or it's an investment. You know, um, if you're going to buy a new Porsche, or say, say for instance, you want to order a Ford GT, and you know you can order this Ford GT, you can get it in, you can keep it for two years so they don't sue you, and then you can sell it for $150,000 more than you paid for it. Yeah, I can see that being worth it. Yeah, I hate it when people do that with cars, though. The idea of buying a car as an investment, it's it's because cars are meant, especially cars like the Ford GT, that car is meant to be driven. That car is meant to be appreciated. And you're going to get on to me about this, but I also hate the idea that somebody is, is buying a car that they don't want just to make a profit when it's keeping somebody who actually treat the car the way I believe a car should be treated from being able to buy it because it's a limited quality. I know you don't care about that sort of thing. That's fine. 
Um, and I don't really car- care that much. But this it happens with every time Porsche releases a new, it, people go on the waiting list only because they're expecting it to appreciate. Cars don't appreciate. And if it turns out to be a dog like the Cayman did, now you're stuck holding the bag. Yeah, it's a it's a high risk investment. Yeah, and it's you know as investments go, cars are a terrible one because one you got to have somewhere to store, them. right? So you've got to have warehouse space. You've got to have a way. You know, you got to keep them on a trickle charge. You got to be sure rats don't get in them. And you gotta, you've got to drive it occasionally, yeah. so to keep everything moving, but at the same time not drive the miles up. Right. You got to drive it enough to keep it good, but you can't drive it enough to enjoy it. Right. And also, if you're a car collector, it's it's I guess it's a different mindset than you and I will ever have. And Probably. I think there's some of that in this. You know, we have a friend. He has more cigars. Him and his son have collected more cigars. If they smoked a cigar, if they never bought another cigar from now till the day he died, they could not put a dent in the amount of cigars he has. Is it that at this point? Oh, yeah. Yeah, wow. absolutely. It's six humidors worth and not... We're not talking about little humidors, you know, little 150 humidors. We're talking about table humidors. We're talking about coolers. We're talking about boxes on boxes of rare stuff. And it's like, you know, is it really, is it, is a cigar good for anything but smoking? Yeah. I, I don't, yeah. I, how, how good does it, can it possibly feel to, to just look at it? Well, you know, I've got that box of Sopranos. But I still break one out and smoke it every now and then when I have the turn. And when they're gone, they'll be gone forever. Mm-hmm. And I'll be okay with that. And all because I will have enjoyed my box of cigars. Right. And, and I think that's... I think people get so much into having stuff. I think this is what happens with DVDs. People see a great movie and they want to own a piece of that movie. So they want to buy the DVD so that they have... They feel like they have a ownership of that movie. Mm-hmm. And I, and I think that happens with cigars. I think sometimes people want to have a Fuente BBMF just because they want to say they have a Fuente BBMF. Right. They don't ever actually want to smoke it. They just want to say that they have it. And so, and I think that's what goes on here is they're like, okay, I've got a $1,500 Dunhill Estupidendo and all, which is that, is Estupidendo stupid, stupid in Spanish? Stupendous. <laughs> oh, stupendous. Okay. <laughs> I knew I had that off somewhere in the terminology, but... Yeah, I think that's what's happening here, and I think that's actually what it what it comes down to. And also, okay, let's get to our man, art of manliness article. I know two weeks in a row for art of manliness. It happens. But I couldn't resist this article because you know you and I both love words, and uh, I love words. I love talking about them. I love using different words. You know, it's why I needed clarification on doldrums. But 50 old-fashioned insults we should bring back. This is from Brett and Kate McKay. And and this is is an older article. It's from June 4th, or excuse me, from July 27th. Of 16. Yeah, of 16. But updated June 4th. So I just want to hit some of the high points. But this, I think language changes. Because these are admittedly used to be insults. Right. And now I don't know that people would take them as an insult. I think if you called somebody some of these things, you know, Okay, of all these, you've read through the, through all of these. How many of the fifty did you had you ever heard before? Um, quite a bit. I use CAD as often as I can. Um, uh, I've always heard it as all hat no saddle. I've never heard it all hat no cattle, but it's the same basic principle. It's a poser. Yeah, all hat no cattle makes sense to me. I'd never heard of afternoon farmer. 
I hadn't either, but it makes perfect sense. I knew exactly what it meant the first time. Someone who's anyone loses opportunity, who's just kind of lazy or behind the times. Okay. Death's head upon a mop stick. A poor, miserable, emaciated fellow. Hey, this fellow's got enough problems of actually calling him death's head on a mop stick. Right. I can see why. I mean, okay, um, what do you do? Walk up to somebody who's made you mad and say, you are death's head on a mop stick. Oh, I guess, you know, these are very old-fashioned insults. I'm sure, you know, diphtheria and other diseases that we don't have anymore probably made someone look a bit more like death's head upon a mop stick quite more often than we're used to seeing now. I do love this one, Dunderhead, and the explanation they give is Blockhead. <laughs> now, okay, now what does Blockhead mean? <laughs> yeah, so now we got to trace this down. Oh, have you ever used the word abominable and not used the word snowman afterwards? Yeah. I've never used the word abominable and not had snowman after it. That's funny. And I was, I was wondering how many people had ever done that. Fuss budget. I love that one. I'm going to start using that one. But fuss budget to me would be a cheap person. I wouldn't say they're defined as a nervous, fidgety person. To me, fuss budget. You're being too literal. Well, absolutely. You're, you're thinking about somebody who fusses over their budget, but that's not necessarily. Gentlemen of four outs. Okay, this is somebody that thought they were a lot smarter than they were that developed this one. Right. And uh, when a vulgar, blustering fellow asserts that he's a gentleman, the retort is, yes, a gentleman of four outs, without wit, without money, without credit, and without manners. That sounds like something Winchester would have said, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it kind of, that, that to me seems like somebody trying to seem witty that really don't understand comedy. Yeah, it does. And uh, that, that just kind of... Galumpus? See, I wouldn't mind being called a Galumpus. Somebody called me a Galumpus would not bother me at all. <laughs> that's another that's another one of those the definition is a large clumsy fellow. That's it's kind of like the the word is very appropriate for the sound a Galumpus would make, I feel like. Well, if you've ever if you had ever watched Game of Thrones, Hodor was a Galumpus. Mm. And all and that, that that kind of I know you never watched Game of Thrones, but I've been rewatching it recently. Gotcha. I How, like Grumbletonian. Yes, that that kind of sounds like you publish a news newsletter. It sounds like somebody who <laughs> li- lives in Grumble, you know, uh, someone who just always has something negative to say. I think you and I both know several of those. I hope to one day live long enough to be called a heathen philosopher. Right now, I don't like the way they they couch this. One whose buttocks may be seen through his pocket hole. This saying arose from the old philosophers, many of whom were despised the vanity of dress, such a point often to fall into opposite extremes. No, just call me a heathen philosopher. And just let it be what it is. He's a heathen philosopher. <laughs> I kind of, I really, I like heathen philosopher. I have heard mollycoddle used as a verb, but never a noun. Yeah, don't, don't mollycoddle that child. Right. Well, yeah. But it makes sense now. Um, I've, I've heard any hammer. But I've never heard it used as a simpleton. I like Nygmanog. Nygmanog. I'm a Nygmanog. A very silly fellow. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm, see, I just don't think in today's political climate you can use Nygmanog. I, I considered just glossing over it, but I liked that it was a very silly fellow. <laughs> yeah. I just, I don't think... It, it's tough. you got to be really sharp with your tongue to be able to pull that off. Okay, so rumbumptious. I've all heard rambumptious... Which would be out of control, but rumbumptious, pompous and haughty. Doesn't pompous and haughty kind of cover it? Yeah. Do you really need to need a eight syllable word for that? And uh, that's to me now skin flint. 
Skin flint I've heard used a lot. And, okay, you can't use an insult to describe an insult. Skin flint, a miser, a covetous wretch. <laughs> right. <laughs> one, one who, if possible, would take the skin off of a flint. Explain that to me. What, why would you skin a flint? I don't know. I don't... What... I, I don't know why. I mean, I'm assuming Flint. I think that's based. I think that's probably based on a saying that's even older than these sayings, and it's been lost to the ages. Slug a bed, one that cannot rise in the morning. That, that, again, that seems kind of on the nose for me. Okay, I like unlicked club, unlicked cub. That is, that is pretty good. Someone who's been, someone who's been uh, neglected. In, in being raised properly. Right. They, they've never had their father pull his belt off as he was leading him to the car. No, I, I, I mean, that takes lick to a different extreme. I'm thinking more of how a, a lioness licks their cubs clean. A bear mama licks their cubs clean. I'm thinking more of that. It's, it's, it's rearing more than it is corp capital punishment. Okay. We're grubbers. We're both guilty. Verbal critics, also a person that uses hard words in common discourse. I think we're both. I think we're both be guilty of word grubbing. Well, perhaps. And all, if we can use it as a verb. <laughs> and all. But really interesting. Um, Theodore Roosevelt's insults. I really liked this part of the article. Being who belongs to the cult of non-virility. <laughs> That's that cuts to the quick. <laughs> a little emasculated mass of inanity. <laughs> I mean, Theodore Roosevelt, as he was riding the moose across the river, right? <laughs> called, I'm sure he called some some journal journalist a white-livered weakling. I I like, and I've heard a variation on this: a mind that functions at six guinea pig power. I've often heard a similar expression, which is, "Well, I see the wheel moving, but the hamster's dead." Yeah, yeah, I hear that say all the time. And I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, right? But I do think these are interesting. It's a word for read to jump to art of manliness and read this article and just see some of the what the old insults are and think of them. How many of them today would actually be an insult or would people look at you like you were a word grubber? Right. You know, if, if you call me a dunderhead, I'm going to consume you're a word. I'm going to assume you're a word grubber. There is something, you know, I, we talked uh, several months ago about me getting put in Facebook jail because I called someone an unboiled potato. And I think there is something very powerful in using an insult that makes the person go, wait, wait, wait what? I know that was an insult, but I don't, huh? It, it's very disarming. And I, I applaud the use of, of insults that are, that are disarming. Well, it's kind of a double insult. It's like, okay, I know you're not smart enough to know what this insult means. And also, okay, moving forward. Another article you brought to us tonight from entrepreneur.com. Philip Morris to stop selling Marlboro cigars and other brands in Britain. Yeah, so I thought this was interesting because Marlboro is not a brand I ever think of unless I'm watching a classic Formula One race from the 90s or early 2000s because they were co-sponsors with Ferrari. And so it's just not something – and it's okay. So Britain, Philip Morris is saying, okay, we're getting out of the, to, uh, out of the cigar business. And it makes me think, wait a minute, Marlboro makes cigars? 
Yeah. And, but now the pictures look just like Marlboro cigarette, cigarette cartons. cartons. Yeah. And then if you read uh, down through the article, it really talks about kind of the Marlboro brand in classic, the way we think of the Marlboro brand. So at first I was thinking that maybe they just call them cigars, you know, um, as opposed to the other slang term they have for cigarettes in that country, which I can understand why they wouldn't use in an entrepreneur article. And so, you know, so I'm reading through this, but no, the, then they use the the term cigarette later on. So I'm thinking, so all this article has done is now I want a Marlboro cigar. I would like to, I, I can't imagine it's if, good. If they actually make Marlboro cigars, this is one that I would pay above retail price for and I would collect it. <laughs> You'd like to know what it tastes uh, like. Yeah. Well, okay, speaking of Marlboro, I have to say, I was accused before I was married to my wife when we were dating. She accused me of killing her hamster named Marlboro. I would assume the lung cancer did that. So, so she, was t- she was going to her sister's wedding in Iowa, and I was entrusted. She said, this is my hamster, Marlboro. I said, Marlboro? She said, yeah, after the cigarette. I said, Marlboro? Well, he answers to Marlboro. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what does a hamster answer to? <laughs> How do you know? So, an adorable little fella, little teddy bear hamster, fluffy, all the rest of stuff, had the cute little ball that he runs around in. Well, after she got back, he lived about two weeks and then passed away. And I got accused of killing him simply because it was Christmas time. And mom and dad had a train that went around the base of their Christmas tree. Do you know if you put a hamster wheel on a train track, he can't get off? You should have seen the little joker running from the train on the hamster wheel. You're awful. It was the funniest thing you've ever seen in your life. I have no doubt. I bet that was hysterical, but you are awful. Well, okay. How many trips around the tree? Three or four. We We didn't let the train push him. We're not cruel. You know, but the little fella would stop it. <laughs> we, we put him back in. You know, we, we didn't let the train run over him. But you should see a hamster running from a train in a wheel, <laughs> looking over his little shoulder like, ah. So that's where Hitchcock got the idea. <laughs> but um, I was accused that his little heart gave out as a result of that. But you know, I'm going to side with your wife on this no, one. No, no, that was two weeks. How could it take two weeks for the... If he had died in the ball... Okay, I'll take the blame. Congestive hamster failure. <laughs> yeah. If, if, if he had died there on the on Christmas underneath there, I'd have took the blame. I'd have went and bought another rat that looked like him and gave it to her and, been, and moved on with life. Hey, I, my grandfather died of a heart attack after he'd been in the hospital for three weeks. So he wasn't moving, he wasn't exercising, he wasn't doing anything like that. But it's still, so I, I'm just saying, it doesn't always happen right away. Well, so it, I would even allow, I would even take the blame if at her house she'd been next to a train track. If like in the middle of the night a train had come by and blew its horn and he had a flashback. <laughs> My God. Had a heart attack. I would take the blame then, but I've, I, it's been 23 And she still married you? It's been 23 years, and I refuse to take the blame for Marlboro dying because we put him on the train track. I think that was the most excitement that hamster ever had in his life. I think when he got home, he knew he would never get that level of excitement again. You think he drowned himself in his water bowl? Just ended it all (laughs) right then and right there. But anyway, that's my Marlboro story. 
Glenda, can I apologize on his behalf for something that happened 23 years ago? <laughs> and, I'll, and yes, she did still marry me. Oh, man, you got a good one. And I'll, but that's, I thought that was pretty good. I, I mean, and it was the funniest thing you've ever seen. Oh, I in have your, no doubt. If, you, if you've never done it, it is the funniest thing you'll ever see in, his, in your life. Because <laughs> the track was just wide enough. He couldn't push the ball. To, every now and then he'd be running, he'd throw his shoulder <laughs> trying to get off and couldn't get off. <laughs> Oh, man. The, the, so terrible. <laughs> Wouldn't you like to spend a day in my brain? No. No. <laughs> I spend enough time next to your brain that I don't want to spend any time inside it. Brain adjacent and all. But all right. Well, let's rank our cigars. Fonseca, it's a solid. It's tough. I hesitate to give it a six. It probably deserves a six. It, I feel like that's a six. It probably deserves a six. And I, I just, I don't, I, I'm more five and three quarter than a six on it. Because I, I would like to be impressed. And I, it's just kind of plain. It's, it's really good, but it's not, it, it's a hair's breadth away from being great. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. kind of a five and three quarter and all. But I, but I, if somebody came up to me and said that's a six, or somebody came up to me and said that's a seven for me, I couldn't argue it with them. Yeah, and also I'm gonna give it the six. So tell me about your craft series boutique one off. Yeah, um, it, it's it's a Fuente, um, and it it's it's a Fuente natural. It's the Maduro was much better. Um, I'm I'm going to say that this cigar is a five, but with my palate, you know, like big Fuente fans, like a couple of the guys we know in here, right. are going to say this is a five and a half, almost six. It's really, really good. From my palate, though, it's about a five. So did you just go cutter crazy, or did it have a thin cap on it? It looks like you whacked it off and took the entire cap off. No, it was it had um, it had Will Smith's haircut from the '90s. It was just like straight up, no shoulders, straight like okay. cut across, flat top. So I only I barely shaved it, but it just it comes across looking like a, yeah. like I went too far. When I see you smoke it, I, I I think what why did he cut so much off of that cigar? And then I thought, well. Trey's a seasoned veteran. There's no way he cut that much off a cigar on purpose. No, the cap had a hard corner. Okay. So it, it just, it was more square on top. Yeah. And all, instead of rounded where you could, it didn't have a shoulder. Exactly. No shoulder. And all, but all right, well, tell them how to get hold of us, Trey. You can reach us at facebook.com slash the cigarcast. We're on Instagram and Twitter at the cigarcast and email info at the cigarcast.com. Well, thank you everybody for listening this week. Until next week, have a great cigar and think well of us.